Now, I, I would suggest to you that by faith, you do exactly what the doctor tells you to do, and you take exactly what the pharmacist tells you to do. I call this routine faith. And so much of our life is caught up in routine faith. Like, for instance, when you leave here today, you'll get in a car. And you'll drive home or you'll drive to a restaurant. You have no clue how that, what makes that car operate. And you have no clue as to whether the person who is approaching you is texting or, or the person is uh, aware that you're coming. And, and yet you drive and you drive by routine faith. You get on the airplane by routine faith. But there's another kind of faith. It's radical faith. This is a kind of faith that enabled the aged Abraham and Sarah to believe the living God when he promised them a son in their old age. They believed God. Radical faith. It's the kind of faith that young David possessed when he walked down into the valley of Elah to face the, the gigantic, massive Philistine warrior Goliath. And he took him down. It was radical faith. It's the kind of faith that Stephen had when he was being stoned to death and, and he prayed to the living God. I'll tell you, his prayer was fueled by radical faith. This is the kind of faith that is woven into all of our true spiritual uh, situations. For instance, we are saved by faith according to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. We live by faith according to Galatians 2.20. We achieve victories in this life by faith according to 1 John 5.4. We are protected by faith from the enemy's attack according to Ephesians 6.16. We please God by faith according to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. So today I want to speak to you about praying with radical faith. Our text is Mark chapter 11, verses 20 to 26. Let me just begin by, by reading, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 11, to get the context in place. It was Passover week. Millions of Jews had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And, and the Bible says in verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, at Bethphage in Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter there, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a coat tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coat, colt, 
their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. And those who were in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see perhaps if he could find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple and he began to teach and say to them is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you have made it a robber's den the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go into the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, they were coming back into the city from Bethany. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look! The fig tree which you cursed has withered. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? That fig tree was an object lesson. It was Jesus' way of showing the Jews and the disciples that the judgment of God was coming upon the Jewish people and the Jewish faith. And Peter and the rest of the disciples were astonished by the sheer power and authority of the words of Jesus. In fact, Jesus took this moment and he taught his disciples about praying with radical faith. I want to take the rest of my time this morning and teach you the five principles of praying with radical faith that Jesus taught his disciples right there on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem. Remember this. This is so important. Praying with radical faith is not about getting your one your will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done on earth. That's an important distinction that you need to have solidly locked in your mind. Here's the truth I want you to take away with you today. And I know this for a fact. 
Jesus wants to revolutionize your prayer life. Jesus did not want, does not want you to settle for a, a dead, lifeless, helpless, powerless prayer life. He wants to revolutionize your prayer life. He wants to inject it with life and vigor and vitality. So let's look at the first principle of praying with radical faith. Number one, put your faith in God. It's interesting how Jesus responded to Peter when he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you curse has, has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. You, you see, what Jesus was trying to teach those disciples would get them ready for the birth of the church and the ministry, their apostolic ministry of taking the gospel to the known world and planting churches all over the world. And if they were going to do that, they were going to need to learn to pray in radical faith, and they had to have faith in God. Not under their own abilities, but faith in God. Listen, to, ha to, to pray with radical faith, the object of your faith has to be God, not your faith. Not your faith. Not the quality of your faith, not the amount of your faith. Your, the object of your prayers has to be the living God. When you pray, you must focus on the fact that you are addressing your heavenly Father. If you're a believer, you're addressing your heavenly Father who loves you and who wants the very best for you. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus taught, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or, or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? God loves you. He cares about you. He wants to give you the things that will make your life the very best it could possibly be. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Now listen, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Now he's God. He is God the Father, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. To pray with radical faith, you must not let your prayer life degenerate into mindless, frivolous, general prayer request. Pray specifically. Pray for kingdom things. Pray with fervency. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't you want to see your prayer life revolutionized? Don't you want to see your prayer life become effective and powerful 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praying with radical faith begins with this first principle. Put your faith in God. Don't ever put your faith in your faith. That's what the prosperity gospel teaches. And that is totally, completely unbiblical. Put your faith in God. Number two, pray according to God's will. Search the scriptures for promises and principles that will build your faith and give direction to what you pray and how you pray. In Romans 10, 17, the Bible says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So right here in, in Romans 10, 17, we're taught from the scripture that if we really want to build our faith, if we want to see our faith increase and get strong, then we need to absolutely pour ourselves into the word of God and saturate our minds and our hearts with the word of the living God. I never will forget when God was dealing with me about a call to ministry. And I searched the scriptures. And there was not one single scripture in here that said, Chuck, I want you to preach. It's not in here. But I, I'm telling you, I was asking, seeking, and knocking. And Darlene was too. And one morning at the field house where I coached, it's in hot summer. I'm listening to Bible preaching continuously all morning, and John MacArthur's preaching, and he preaches a, a sermon on 1 Timothy 3.1. If any man desires the office of overseer or pastor, it is a good thing that he does. And he made this statement. I never will forget it. He said, look, many times God reveals his perfect will through our lives by the desires he places in our heart. And I want to tell you, my friend, my desire at that moment was to preach. It wasn't to coach. And I fell on my knees, and that was the moment when I knew for sure that God was calling me to preach. How did he reveal it to me? He revealed it to me through the Word of God. I had confidence based upon the Word of the living God. I knew it was his will. Radical faith in God flourishes when we know what God has already said he wants to do and how he wants it done. Now that's when radical faith really flourishes. Knowing the will of God gives a gigantic boost to your prayer life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, John wrote this. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything, look at this, according to what? His will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. How do we know we have those requests? Because he's already revealed his will to us in the word of God. And we found it right here in the word of God. And we know with confidence that this is what God wants to do. Before I came out here today, I got on my knees in my office and I prayed and I asked the Father for the filling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I prayed it with confidence. You know why I prayed it with confidence? Because it's right here in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. That's His will for my life as a pastor to preach with power and authority and unction and urgency. You say, listen to me very carefully. The prayers that you pray 
must be consistent with the character and the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ also. Because we're to pray in whose name? Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name is just not some kind of magical incantation that we put on the end of our prayer to get a hearing in heaven. No, 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 no. Praying in Jesus' name means that what we pray matches up and aligns with his will and his purpose and his plan and his character. That's what it means to pray in his name. So praying with radical faith involves some clear biblical principles. The first one is this, put your faith in God. Don't put your faith in your faith. Put your faith in God. Number two, pray according to God's will. Here's the third one. Number three, trust God with your issue. Trust God with your issue. Look at verse 23. Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Now the word truly here is used more than 100 times in the New Testament and it is used as emphasis. It's emphasizing a very important spiritual truth that comes after the word truly. Look at, look at that next word, whoever. Do you know that you're a whoever? If you're a born-again believer, do you know that whoever applies to you? Do you know that, that you as a believer can pray with radical faith? You say, are you sure I can do, are you sure, pastor, that's not reserved just for pastors and missionaries and, and people who are, are called into ministry? No, it's not reserved just for them. It's reserved for every single Bible-believing Christian. You're a whoever. You can pray with radical faith. It is Jesus' will that your prayer life is revolutionized by learning to pray in radical faith. You, you say, okay, pastor, I've got that part. But what did Jesus mean when he spoke about commanding a, a mountain to be uprooted and cast into the sea? What did he mean by that? Well, I, I assure you this. You can go to any mountain in the world as a believer and you can command that mountain to be uprooted and cast into the sea and it's not going to be uprooted and cast into the sea. That's not the purpose of why Jesus said this. Jesus used a figure of speech that was common in Judaism and it's called hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggerated idea that is used for emphasis sake to emphasize a spiritual principle so the lord's point is that when confronted by an overwhelming issue without an apparent human solution the believer can pray knowing that the lord has the power and the authority to overcome whatever issue it is in your life i don't care what it is He's got the power and authority. It could be an addiction. It could be a broken relationship. It could be a bout with depression or a devastating physical illness. The whole point here is simply this. We should never, now listen to me very carefully. 
we should never doubt the power and the authority and the goodness of our God. You need to know that you can pray about these big ticket issues, though they are not clearly spelled out in the Word of God. I'm telling you, it was not clearly spelled out in the Word of God that I was to be a pastor. But I devoted, I sought the face of God. I sought his will. I asked him to give me a clear word. And he gave me a clear word by a preacher taking the word of God and delivering that word right into the middle of my heart. He dropped the plumb of his word and his will right in the middle of my heart. And I knew with confidence that I was supposed to be a pastor. There are a lot of things not spelled out in the word of God. I remember when I was going in for heart surgery, I, I had a defective aortic valve. I had a, an aortic aneurysm. I just about bought my ticket to heaven at children's camp during a shaving cream war with a bunch of kids. Seriously. But there I am in the hospital. It's Thursday night. I'm going to be operated on early the next morning. And I asked the Lord to give me a word. Give me a word I can hang on to. I wish I could tell you that the Lord led me to Psalm 30 and, and showed me that he was going to heal me. I, I didn't get that word. You know the word he laid on my heart? Philippians 1.21. You know what it says? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So would I live or would I die? <laughs> I didn't know. But I, I'll tell you, it was a word to my heart. And, and I knew this. I knew this with absolute certainty. On Friday morning, when they cut my chest open, I was going to come out a winner. I was going to come out a winner if I died and went to heaven. I was going to come out a winner if I lived and was able to continue to serve and glorify Jesus on this earth. I knew I was going to be a winner. It, was, it enabled me to face my family the next morning there in the little room before you go back to surgery with confidence without becoming a, a, a bubbling idiot crying all over the place. I knew that I was going to be a winner, and I told them that. Now listen, you can pray for your healing from a life-threatening illness. A mature, radical faith would pray something like this. Heavenly Father, in this trial that I'm going through, I'm confident that whatever the short-term outcome, you are a God who is compassionate and powerful, and I am trusting in your goodness to me, even if it is not resolved until I'm heaven, I'm in heaven, or Jesus returns again and establishes kingdom in full. Lord, I am confident of your goodness and of your power. I trust you. That's how you pray when you don't have a clear, defining word from God. Radical faith is confidence in a sovereign God. We, we must trust that he knows what we cannot discern. We must trust that he plans what we cannot foresee. We must trust that he secures eternal realities in ways that are abo abo 
uh, above our ability to grasp. We pray for him to do what we think is right, but we trust him to do what is ultimately best. Good scripture for us in that moment is Romans 8, 28, where Paul wrote, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me ask you, in those heavy moments, when you face one of those mountains, one of those big ticket issues, here's the question. Will you trust God? Will you trust his sovereign plans and his sovereign purposes for your life? That's the question. Jesus wants to revolutionize your prayer life. And praying with radical faith involves some clear biblical principles. Number one, put your faith in God. Pray according to God's will. Number three, trust God with your issue. Trust him. And number four, expect God to come through. Expect him to come through. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 23, and I'm going to add 24. So I'm going to read 23 again and then verse 24 because I really come together and tell a magnificent story. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, verse 24, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. Now the word doubt, means to waver. It means to vacillate back and forth. It means to have faith in God one moment and not have faith in God the next moment. Once again, there's a difference between having a clear word from God on an issue and not having a clear word from God on an issue. Take, for instance, the book of James. James wrote this. James 1, verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Now, now, how could James write with such clarity and confidence about this issue? Notice what he said. But he must ask in faith without doubting. Now, think about this. James' thing right here is wisdom. If you pray for wisdom. Is there a clear word in the Word of God about a believer having wisdom? I, I, Listen, it's not just a clear word. It's a clear book. It's Proverbs. It is God's will that every single believer on the face of this planet be blessed with the wisdom of God as they make decisions, as they live their lives. 
That's God's will. So James had a very clear word from God in mind here. And when you have a very clear word from God in mind, there's no room for doubt. You you say, Pastor, do you really believe that God will save me if I repent of my sin and place my faith in Jesus? I am absolutely 100% confident that he will. How can you be so confident? Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can drive a stake down when God speaks so clearly about an issue in his word. It is his perfect will. Pastor, how can you be sure that it's God's will for every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because of Ephesians 5.18, we are commanded, not suggested, we are commanded to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. You can drive a stake down. I can tell you that any born-again believer within the sound of my voice, it is, I know absolutely for certain it is God's will for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you were to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you do the things necessary, your heart's clean, your life's clean, I'm telling you, he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you'll have power that you've never had before. On the other hand, consider Peter. Now, there's praying within the, the framework of God's perfect will, and then there's praying within the framework of God's permissive will. Do you remember that storm on the Sea of Galilee and Peter and the disciples are in the boat, and they're they're absolutely wearing themselves out trying to keep their nose above the water, and and the the boat's taking on water, and here comes Jesus. What was Jesus doing? Walking on the sea, walking on the water. And Peter sought the permissive will of Jesus to come to him walking on the water. He said, Lord, can I come to you on the water? And Jesus gave him permission. Now, obviously, it's not the perfect will of God for mortals to walk on water, right? You you know that, don't you? Don't, Don't try that. Don't try it. But he asked the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Lord, would you give me permission to come to you on the water? Jesus said, Come. Do you remember what happened? In Matthew 14, 29 to 31, the Bible says, And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31 is very important. Notice this. Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Notice what Jesus said. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me tell you, you don't have to have a lot of faith to see God do some really, really powerful things in and through you. You really don't. You don't have to have a a, a lot of faith for God to answer these big ticket questions. Prayer, prayer requests, these kingdom requests that you bring before his throne. You don't. 
You just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. A mustard seed. Let me make this clear. No believer's faith is perfect. Not this side of heaven. You're not going to have perfect faith. But it doesn't have to be in order to see the Lord work in and through your situation. Peter walked on water, didn't he? And he walked on water with what? Little faith. Jesus said it was little faith. All prayer requests must be consistent with God's perfect will or God's permissive will. Now, praying with radical faith, we've looked at four principles so far. Number one, put your faith in God. Number two, pray according to God's will. Number three, trust God with your issue. Number four, expect God to come through. And here's the fifth one. Confess all known sin. It's interesting how Jesus went into this last part here in verses 25 and 26. He said, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Now, now why didn't Jesus say, whenever you stand praying, get, get rid of that lust in your heart? Or whenever you stand praying, get rid of that greed in your heart. But he said, when you stand praying, forgive. I believe it was so crucial for those 12 disciples to hear Jesus say this. Because they were about to go through some stuff that they were certainly not prepared for at the moment. And forgiveness was going to be so important for them. And can I tell you, forgiveness is important for us. It, it, I, I believe that forgiveness is one of those sins in the church that we give ourselves a pass about. We say, well, well, Pastor, I was born with the, the, the revenge gene. I got that gene in my DNA. No, you don't. When you were born again, he gave you a brand new life, a brand new set of priorities, a brand new power that you've never had before. And my friend, I tell you on the authority of God's word, this is Jesus. This is not some preacher saying, these are the words of Jesus. He said, forgive. Forgive. I do think that what Jesus is teaching here is that there must be spiritual cleanness in our lives if we're ever going to pray with radical faith. Beginning with forgiveness and going on to greed and, and all these other sins that can so easily get in our lives. Now, he's not talking about eternal forgiveness here. He's talking about relational forgiveness. The complete cleansing of the redeemed at salvation does not ever need to be repeated, ever. But they still need the daily cleansing of sanctification 
from the defilement of indwelling sin. This kind of sin in the life of a believer interrupts their relationship with Jesus, their fellowship with Jesus. It, 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 it hampers their, their prayer lives. Paul, David said in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Won't hear your prayers. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we must confess and forsake all sin if we want to pray with radical faith. Now here's the big truth for today. Jesus wants to revolutionize your prayer life. He wants to revolutionize your prayer life, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young adult, a senior adult, a middle-aged adult. He wants to revolutionize your prayer life. And this revolutionary upgrade to your prayer life involves radical faith and the five principles that we've looked at today. What are they? Put your faith in God. Pray according to God's will, number two. Trust God with your issue, number three. Number four, expect God to come through. And number five, confess and forsake all known sin. So here's my question to you as we wrap up our time this morning. Will you receive this word from the Lord? Will you? You're a born-again believer. You're a part of his kingdom. You're a part of his family. These are his words. This is his will for your life. It is his will that you pray with radical faith. So now, will you take these five principles and will you incorporate them into your daily walk with Jesus and within the confines of your daily prayer time? In just a moment, we're going to, 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 to worship. In fact, I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come, our staff to come. And we're here to minister to you. We're here to help you. Listen, you come to us if you want to ask anything, if you want us to pray for you. But I want to encourage believers in this room to come to the altar. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray specifically about all five of these principles right here at the altar and you ask the Lord Jesus to help you to incorporate these five principles into your life as a believer into your prayer life and, and then I, I want to say this if you're not a believer the most revolutionary prayer you could ever pray is the prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord without a doubt there's a verse of Scripture that I go to over and over again when I talk to people about their soul. It's Romans 10, 13. The Bible says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so they might be saved. So they will be saved. And I'm trusting that some of you, within the sound of my voice, whether by live stream, whether here in the building, whether on TV, but the Holy Spirit of God has been convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit of God has been calling you to salvation, drawing you to Jesus.
And this is the moment, this is the trigger moment in your life. And he's inviting you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Listen, if you're ready to do that today, you come to one of our pastors, one of our staff members, and we'll help you with that decision. And you can be saved today. Pastor, are you sure of that? Absolutely. My stake is down. It's in the Word of God. He'll save you if you ask him to save you. If you mean it in your heart, you come. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your incredible goodness. I thank you, Father, that you're a sovereign God with all power and authority. I praise you that nothing is impossible with you. I praise you that you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And Lord, we're asking you today to bring men, women, boys, and girls to saving faith in Jesus. We're asking you today, Lord, to bring believers to a place where they're no longer satisfied with the status quo in their prayer life, but they're ready they're ready to pray with radical faith. Lord, I pray they'd come to this altar and they would embrace these five principles. They walk out of here today with a fresh reason to pray and fresh power in their prayer lives. Lord, we love you. Have your will and your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship and you come.